Well, we continue this morning uh, with our sermon series in 1 John. Uh, and John, as you know, uh, was an apostle, a very close friend of Jesus. Uh, he was the author of the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, First, uh, Second, and 3 John. This was a man who was also deeply rooted in God's love, deeply rooted in the love of Jesus, so much so that it overflowed abundantly from his life into the lives of others, the love that he had for his brothers and sisters in Christ, the family of faith. Early church father uh, Jerome tells us that when John became old and too weak to preach, he would ask men of his church uh, to carry him into the congregation at Ephesus. And there he would content himself with a brief word of exhortation. Little children love one another. And that was it. Little children love one another. And he would repeat this day after day. And when the, uh, the people grew tired of hearing it, they would, would ask, why do you so often repeat this? This was his response. Because it is the Lord's command. And if this is all you do, it is enough. Love one another. It's enough. Well, this morning, we're going to consider the command to love. Uh, we'll be in 1 John chapter 2, uh, verses 7 through 11. Uh, you'll find it on page 1021 if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you. Let's take a moment to pray before we hear God's word. We come once again to you this morning, uh, God of light. In love, and we ask that you would now meet us, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see, and in seeing that we would believe, and in believing that you would bring great change, Lord, that your love would grow us and flow through us as we grow in loving one another. And so we look to you now to do this and pray it in Jesus. Amen. Again, our text is verses 7 through 11, but I'll begin reading in verse 3. So I invite you now to hear the word of God from 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. And by this we know that we have come to know God, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded 
his eyes. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, today, as we walk through this passage in 1 John, uh, we'll look at it very simply in in three parts. Uh, Context, command, and cross. So that's where we're headed. Context, command, and cross. And of course, we'll start with the context. Uh, Starting with the big picture of what John is doing here, what he's doing throughout this letter, and particularly beginning in chapter 2. As I mentioned, John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, Here in 1st John, the majority of John's first letter deals with a series of tests. In chapter 2, John introduces three tests of genuine faith. How do you test yourself? How do you examine your heart? Is it an authentic faith that you have? How do you know that you really know God? So three tests of genuine faith. The behavioral test, the relational test, and the doctrinal test. In verses 3 to 6, which we looked at last week, John gives us the first test, the behavioral or moral test. Do you obey God's commands? The behavioral test means that if you are really a Christian, if your faith is real, is alive, then there will be real change in the way that you live. There will be real change in your character over time, progressive, but growth nonetheless, growth in God's grace. You'll be growing in obedience to God's commands. But not only that, you'll be growing in delight in keeping those commandments. As Dennis pointed out last week, obedience is always preferable to disobedience. But mere obedience is not enough. It's not enough because it misses the mark. It misses the mark because it misses the heart. You see, true obedience, as we heard last week, is a heart Felt obedience, a real change of the heart that then flows out into the way that we live. You see, it's, it's not about gaining God's favor, but rather expressing it, rather delighting, as the psalmist says, delighting in the law of the Lord and expressing that which is already ours in Jesus. And that is evidence of truly knowing God. And that's the behavioral test. Well, then, verses 7 to 11, uh, which we'll look at more closely today, John introduces the second test, uh, the relational or social test. Do you love God and do you love his children, your brothers and sisters in Christ? Verse 10, whoever loves his brothers and sisters abides in the light. So the second test is love. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. Well, then later in John, uh, in 1 John 2, uh, we won't get to this part in in chapter 2 today, but later John presents the third test, the doctrinal or theological test. And this goes well beyond mere intellectual assent. But do you really embrace Jesus for who he is, as God's son and as savior of sinners? The third sign that you're a Christian that you really know God is understanding, believing, and and really owning, or, or rather being owned by 
the fact that Jesus is God's son. And that he is the savior, not just a good example for us to follow. But that he is the savior that we need, that has been sent. That we are saved through him and his finished work on the cross. And that alone. As one commentator writes, John's letter is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is rather a manifesto of done. Jesus' words, it is finished, come to mind. First John highlights what God the Father has done in sending Christ the Son, offering him up as a sacrifice for sins and sending forth the word of life. So the third test is about what you really believe, what you are really banking your life on. So three tests. Three tests of genuine faith, and today we'll be exploring the relational test, the command to love. So, from context to command. And the command that John refers to here is a familiar one. You know it. It's the command of Jesus. Love one another. And we hear echoes of it. Uh, Verse 10, again, whoever loves his brother and sister abides in the light. But we're going to stop there because we have already encountered a problem, a major problem for us this morning, a a strike against us already before we go any further in the text. And the problem is this. You already know this command. You already know. You are so familiar with the command to love. I get up and say today we're looking at love one another and something in your mind goes, yeah, I know about that. Love God, love neighbor. Check. We are so familiar with the command to love that we don't really hear it anymore. Think about it this way, the the country mouse and the city mouse. Okay, the country mouse goes to visit the city mouse. The country mouse doesn't sleep very well at night. Why? Because the country mouse hears everything. Hears all the noises, the hustle and bustle, the cabs, the buses, the people. Hears everything, the sounds of the city. Can't sleep. But the city mouse... Oh, sleeps like a log. Sleeps fine. Why? Because he's become familiar with the sounds. So much so that he no longer hears them. Well, that's our challenge this morning. We're the the city mouse. We've become so used to the sounds of the city that we don't really hear them anymore. So familiar. And yet we need to hear this word. Because it is God's word to us. It is God's word of love that we would hear, that we would believe, that we would receive and be changed by that love, and that we would truly then love one another. God's word, we need to hear it that our minds this morning, this day, would once again be renewed, that our hearts would be transformed, that our lives would ultimately be enlivened and empowered by God's grace. Again, the command John refers to, is the familiar command of Jesus. Love one another. Verses 7 and 8. John writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you. Okay, think back to the moment when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What matters most? What do I really need to do? 
And you remember his answer? Well, yeah, we know it. It's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in this statement, Jesus is highlighting, he is bringing together two passages in the Old Testament. One from Deuteronomy, one from Leviticus. And thus, love is an old commandment. We find it in the Old Testament. Jesus says what matters most is to love God and to love other people. That's it. Everything else will follow. And so Jesus emphasizes the command to love. And many of you already know what he's doing here, but Jesus is summarizing the Ten Commandments, the pinnacle of God's law, which is all about relationships, including the second table of the law, about what it means to love one another. Well, then later in his ministry, as recorded in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 13, where we encounter the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus sat with his disciples, shared a meal with them, and said to them after the meal, A new command I give to you. A new command I give to you. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And thus love is a new commandment. Because remember, the kingdom of God, Jesus has brought in, has inaugurated the kingdom of God. A new age has dawned with Jesus. For the darkness is passing away, verse 8, and the true light is already shining. It's a command that is new every day because it is renewed every day. As, as Christians renew their obedience to Jesus day after day. Love one another. Well, before we move on with the concept of, of love, we need to consider the verses that bookend verse 10. Uh, verse 9 and 11. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And if you didn't hear him the first time, he says again, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Hate. Another place that we're tempted to check out because maybe you think, I don't hate anyone. I mean, do you? Do you really hate anyone? Now, this is where we all become Greek scholars because we often translate this command we think that this command can accurately be translated, love one another, as it really can be translated, love most others. I mean, isn't that really the way that we, that we read it? Because, I mean, if, of course, there is that person, those people, God understands that I could not love them. I don't know how he does. But that's not what it says. Love one another. It's inclusive. Love one another. Bottom line, a Christian doesn't hate, period. Again, you, you say, yeah, but I don't hate anybody. Okay? Don't forget what Jesus says in Matthew. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus states this. One, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. Murder is wrong. Two, 
Now I say unto you, if you're angry with your brother, you're guilty of judgment. And three, if you say to them, Raka, you are in danger of hellfire. So Jesus' Sermon on the Mount takes these verses and begins to expand our, our understanding of hate. Uh, I, I came across as I was reading, uh, Tim Keller offers some excellent insight on how Jesus defines hate coming out of just these verses here in Matthew. What Jesus is talking about here is that hate can mean trying to harm somebody. We're all familiar with that. That's murder. We know that's wrong. But if you're angry with your brother, that means wanting harm to come to him. Now, you're not going to do it yourself, but you'd love to see harm come. You wish harm would come. Jesus says that's murder too. That's not love. It's the very same thing out of which murder grows. Level one of hate, trying to harm somebody. Level two of hate, wanting harm to come to them. Level three of hate. Jesus says, if you say raka, which literally means you nobody, and, and that's what we call indifference, Jesus says that this is the lowest, most insidious form of hate. Indifference. Not caring, not concerning yourself whether or not harm comes to another. So, to try to harm somebody, to wish that harm would come to them, to not even care whether or not harm comes, they are all expressions of hate because they're all a lack of love. That's what Jesus wants us to hear. Well, just as love was the mark of Jesus... So it should be for us. That's what he says. A new command I give to you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. It's the relational test of genuine faith. It's the command to love. But what about, what about the absence of it? Again, John gives us these tests that we might examine our hearts so that we might come to a place of knowing that we really do know God. So when there's an absence of brotherly love, that can be telling evidence of an unrenewed, unsaved life. Think about when you are handling something. If you came and took fingerprints off this pulpit this, after the service today, my fingerprints would be on it. You pick up a glass at home, your fingerprints are on it. Well, when God savingly touches a life, his fingerprints are all over it. And so are his fingerprints on your life? Are they evident? Our lives should be marked by the love of Jesus. Back in chapter 1, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And then today, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, abides in God. And so we're called to love one another. To be marked by the love of Jesus. Uh, in a, a lecture by J.I. Packer, he once said this. Love is both the desire and the effort to make another person great. 
It's both the desire and the effort to make another person great. Now, we need to understand great. Biblically speaking here, what he means is that it's the desire and the effort to make the other person everything that God intends for him or her to be. A book that I've quoted from before, The Road Less Traveled. Uh, in it, M. Scott Peck says this, Love is the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing another spiritual growth. Love is not primarily a feeling by which we are overwhelmed. Instead, love is as love does. So love is an act of the will. It is both an intention and an action. Well, what about Jesus? What about Jesus and love? Well, John writes later, how do we know what love is? By this. By this we know what love is. That Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's what love is. Laying down our lives for one another. How are you doing with that? If, if we're going to be honest, we all fail miserably. I mean, there are times where, sure, there is good that we see and good that we're a part of, but in and of ourselves, we fail miserably living out the command of love. And it's one thing when it's people that we do not like, but we even fail uh, in living out that command with people that we do like, people that we do love. Uh, my wife Heather and I have been married for just over 17 years now, and I think back during our engagement... Uh, just like a lot of couples we were experiencing, and we still do, uh, the ups and the downs of serious relationships. And I remember coming home one afternoon uh, to my, my roommate, Dan, and uh, Dan asked how Heather and I were doing. And I was so glad he asked, because I was really looking for somebody to take pity on me. You know, I was, I was at that moment, please, good. This is my friend Dan, sympathetic ear. He's always got supportive words. Dan, you know, it's tough. It's tough right now. Um, I, I just don't feel like I'm doing this relationship thing right. and You, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's like I'm, I'm really not loving Heather like I should. And Dan looked at me and he said, you're right. You don't. You don't love Heather like you should, and you never will. You don't love Jesus like you should, and you never will. And that's why you need him. And what Dan was recognizing that day, what, what, he was, what he was addressing, on the one hand, he was affirming the necessity of love that he knew I recognized, but he was also exposing my inability to love, something that I was having a hard time seeing. Because Dan wanted me to know that it wasn't just once that I needed Jesus when I first came to faith, but that I always have a present need of Jesus. Right here, right now. A continual need of Jesus. And so do you. Every moment of every day. And so what about you? Do you, do you recognize the utter necessity of love is what matters most? And then beyond that, do you realize your complete inability to love? Your complete inability to love in and of yourself. The relational test. 
the command to love. And we just can't do it. We can't do it on our own. We fail this test apart from grace. But grace is given. And that brings us to our final point. The cross. The only way that we can begin to truly love one another is to start at the cross. God's word teaches that genuine love in our hearts is generated by a deepening awareness, an ever-deepening awareness of God's love for us. And nowhere is the love of God more clearly expressed than at the cross. That's why we point to the cross week after week. In fact, I remember a conversation with someone uh, one time who said, why do you always point to the cross? It, it, It points to death and defeat. And I said, no, because of Jesus, it points to life. And to love. And so we go to the cross. Again, the Apostle John. This is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as a propitiation, as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love one another. And how? How do we love one another? John continues. Chapter 4, verse 9. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Did you hear that? So that we might live through him. You see, we are enabled to love because he first loved us. We are able to love by living Through Jesus. It is the indwelling spirit of Jesus who convinces and transforms our hearts in love to love. And it is by faith, through the power of Christ's love, that we are able to face the relational test of genuine faith, the command to love. A story that really hit home for me this week as I was working through this passage, and one that some of you may have heard before. I was reminded of Corrie ten Boom. Uh, She was a a Dutch woman. Uh, She helped hide Jews during uh, World War II, was uh, held prisoner in Nazi concentration camps. Probably best known for her book, The Hiding Place, uh, later made into a film. If you have never read the book, I highly commend it to you. Well, she tells the story of a faith crisis one day when she was faced with the relational test, the command to love, when she had to face both the necessity of love and also her inability to love. And so I'll use her own words. She tells it like this. It was in a church in Munich where I was speaking in 1947 that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. Memories of the concentration camp came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, and the shame of having to walk 
naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. You see, Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me, hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein, a fine message. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, but, but since that time, I, I have become a Christian. I, I know God's love, and I know that he has forgiven me for the very cruel things that I did there. But I, I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there and could not do it. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, his hand held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing that I had ever had to do. Angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, and I saw them for the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man too. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand, but I could not do it. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity, and so, again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Please, please give me your forgiveness. Then I took his hand. And the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did at that moment. And so it was I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness and love any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. When he tells us to love, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. Who are you struggling to love? Brothers and sisters, this is the grace that we have been given. Loving one another is possible. And we need to encourage one another to look to Jesus, to live our lives through him. 
that as we do so, we would then love with his love. And we would fulfill the command to love one another. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, as we come this morning, we thank you that you showed us the full extent of your love for us on the cross. And that you have conquered death, including the death of hate in our own hearts. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come that we might live life through you. That we might know your love and that we might love through you. And so we ask that you would meet us individually, that you would meet us as a body of Christ, that we might look to you and love one another. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray.